Hey, everybody, before we get into the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor. It's a film called Sir John A. and the Curse of the Antiquenched. It's a fun film. You can get it on Vimeo On Demand right now for only $2.99. Check out curseoftheantiquenched.com. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Welcome to the Raiders of the Lost Commentary podcast. Welcome to Jurassic Park. The unofficial commentary for your favorite... Death of the Chopper! And not-so-favorite films. The famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Starring your hosts, Adam and Matt. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Start your movie in three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Uh, this week on the podcast, I have a special guest, uh, Ross Boyask, and we're talking about his film, I Am Vengeance, Retaliation. Ross, how are you, sir? Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing good. It's a, a very nice summer's day in London right now. How yeah. about you? I'm well. You're actually our first uh, guest from uh, the UK uh, on the podcast. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so uh, no pressure, but uh, we're happy <laughs> to have you on and we're happy to talk to uh, other filmmakers from uh, throughout the world. Um, so your film, I Am Vengeance, Retaliation, it's a sequel um, to I Am Vengeance. Uh, there's a lot of Batman fans on the podcast yeah. so the i am vengeance cool. thing is a good tie-in uh so this is on itunes amazon so people if they want to check that out right now uh they're welcome to do that um but uh yeah uh, thought like right now like uh ross maybe you can let us know a bit about yourself and and how you got into uh the film business okay so <laughs> i always try and keep this bit short but it never works out that's uh, a, it's <clears> a <throat> podcast you can you can uh, jabber for as long as you want right well, okay, cool. So when I was two years old, uh, and I'm putting it into perspective, I'm 45. This is going now. way back. <laughs> this is going, I'm 45. Yeah, no, actually I'm seven. Uh, <laughs> like I said, not that long ago. No, uh, I'm 45 now. When I was two years old, uh, all I cared about, and I'm not kidding, two to three years old, uh, all I cared about was I wanted to draw comics or write comics, draw comics. And at the time, I didn't even know that there were different companies, but I was a big Marvel and DC fan. I didn't even know there was a difference of that age, obviously. Uh, but I was always drawing Batman, Daredevil, Moon Knight, Thor. Uh, everyone, everyone you can imagine in my school exercise books, I, I didn't care about school work. I was just obsessed with comics. Um, and that carried on for quite a while uh, until one day when I was around, well, I was 11 years old, myself and a few school friends watched three movies in one day that changed my life forever. And when you speak to filmmakers, I mean, I'll ask you, what was the film that made you want to make movies? I think it was a handful of things, uh, a lot of Kevin Smith stuff, but it was in particular, it was watching the behind the scenes of Clerks mm. that I put, that I was like, whoa, he made this for like no money. And then I was like, I can make something for no money. That was sort of like the <laughs> light bulb that connected some things. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. When you, when you ask people kind of of my generation, I don't think I've ever said that before, but my <laughs> roughly my age group, <laughs> what, what movies made you want to make movies? They'll invariably say things like, I don't know, uh, The Godfather or Jaws or Star Wars or, you know, the liars will say Citizen Kane and things <laughs> like that. No, no, Citizen, Citizen Kane didn't make anyone want to make a movie. I love that movie, but no one, no one saw Citizen Kane. Not a lot of uh, a young kids wa sitting down to watch Citizen Kane, I don't think. 
<laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. But anyway, so uh, but people will say things like that, right? Of, of a certain genre, uh, so certain like um, prestige, Indiana Jones, even whatever, right? Right. So for me, I saw three movies in one day that totally changed my life, and they were in order: uh, Revenge of the Ninja, Commando, and American Ninja. Right. So Commando, and, and the, uh, the Schwarzenegger. But Schwarzenegger Commando, the, the great big cartoon, it's just amazing. I've seen it over 150 times, and I'm pretty much just watching it in my head as we're speaking right now. We, uh, uh, we covered that on the podcast before. It is Schwarzenegger uh, films are just one of those things that they're so much fun. I don't know what it is. This is fun. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's unapologetically entertaining. Uh, <laughs> I know a whole bunch of people that worked on that movie now as well, which is fantastic. Oh, that's great. Uh, but. Uh, Oh, yeah, no, crazy. Um, and so essentially I watched those three movies in that one afternoon and my 11-year-old brain went, how do I do that? Yeah. How, do I, how, do, how, how does that how, how do I make that? Because, and let's be clear then, I'm a big comic book fan and ninjas look kind of like superheroes and Schwarzenegger in Commando was certainly a cartoon, uh, as were all of the villains who were all amazing. Uh, and simple stories of good versus evil, you know, ninjas can kind of you know fight scenes and gadgets and sort of seemingly magical abilities and all, all of that stuff right it all kind of translates into comic books um and so from then on that's kind of all i really wanted to do as well i still wanted to do comics because i love comics to this day but it was all about how how do we do that then uh, and then you know we found one, one of our friends again had his his dad had a video camera uh, my friends and I, we were all doing, well, we all started doing martial arts, uh, Wadaru karate to start off with. Uh, and we, we would do things like go into my back garden, my parents' back garden. And we would like, you know, like choreograph fight scenes and try and film them. We would watch movies or fight scenes, action scenes frame by frame. And this is back in the day of VHS where you had to, you know, like frame jump, frame jump, frame jump, frame ruins jump. Ruins your VHS. Oh, we destroyed, yeah. we destroyed, oh my God. The number, the number of, my VHS is before I cut, I've still got a few where like you would, the beginning of a fight scene would just be creased. Like you can just <laughs> see there's a, there's a crease from where we paused it. Um, and like, and so it would be like, we didn't even know that there was a different names for shots or it. We don't know what editing was. We didn't know anything, but we went, okay, so, uh, this is like a close, uh, well, we didn't know the closer. Uh, uh, it's just his face. Uh, and he throws a punch and then we go to this bigger shot where there's like, everyone's in it. And you see the punch. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. And we would like basically copy that. That's you're what we learning, would do. You're and we learning used to crash. shot listing at a young age almost. Yeah. Just, and again, we didn't even know the terminology by any means. In the UK, we didn't, I mean, at least certainly not at that age for myself. Like in my, you know, like, uh, well, from the age of 11, let's say to like 13, 14 or whatever. Like we didn't really have movie books. I mean, you'd have the occasional making of, I think, occasionally. But certainly nothing like the DVD extras we get today. Rebel Without a Crew was years away. You know, all of that, all of those great yeah. books, which I've read. Uh, you know, I only really got into film, movie making, book reading much later. You know, William Goldman, all essential stuff. You know, all of that stuff much later. Well, when I was a university student, college student, you know. So, which, uh, you know, I devoured all those books, of course. So it was all about learning by doing. And I believe that to this day, you learn by doing, you can be taught anything you want. You can watch any documentary or read any book, but until you're doing something, you're not really learning anything. Yeah. You got to jump in the pool at one point, right? You absolutely do. And you should try everything. Yeah. All about anything you're scared of doing in terms of the production process, you should try to do. Uh, I I think. Um, so, so yes, 
yeah so then it, so that kind of progress from us sort of you know making sort of bumbling short films etc etc until i got to uh, college in in the uk it's called sixth form college where i met who would become my first producer phil hobden who i do a podcast with right now and he produced my first two features in the end but before that we did lots and lots of shorts and music videos and corporates and you know we just we just sort of learned together he was a massive horror nut i was a massive action martial arts nut uh, he introduced me to horror i'd seen a couple but i was never really into it but he introduced me very properly to horror. Uh, and in some ways, I introduced him to things like No Retreat, No Surrender and King of the Kickboxers and China O'Brien and whatever, you know, all of those movies uh, and you know, variously other things. So that's kind of, I was going to say that's the short version, <laughs> <laughs> roughly. But from there, it progressed to university, you know, doing a media production course. And after that, it was just doing any, any job we could, you know, like any corporates or short films, any music videos, anything. So you were able um, so, to start like a production company kind of right out of film school, essentially, or? Yeah, I mean, I would never call it anything as formal as a company at the time. Right. Because, because the first feature that we did, which was called Left for Dead over here, which did very well. Like, we took it to Cannes and we sold it and stuff. That's kind of jumping the gun a bit, but we did do that. It was essentially a short film that we just didn't stop making. It was, <laughs> it was, we worked with our longtime compatriot, Glenn Salvage, who's been in a bunch of movies, really lovely guy, Brighton-based, uh, great actor, been in tons of movies. Anyway, uh, but at the time, we were all like a fledgling group of friends, really, you know, making movies. Uh, we just happened to have that stuff in common, like in action and martial arts and, and so forth. Uh, and uh, and we, just, we were kind of making this short, and we just kept shooting this short. And we were kind of going... What are we doing? And Phil Verne said, let's just stop for a bit and figure out what we're doing. Because we were using um, the Canon XL1S, which was the other uh, cameras that they made 28 days later on. Yeah, I'm familiar with those. So, so I mean, it was arguably still my favorite camera to this day. If I could get uh, like, a, you know, like, a, I guess a, a disc, you know, like a, a chip, a card camera that was the model of the XL1S, I'd be happy as anything. It was Yay. just wonderful, wonderful to operate. So... We kind of realized that we had the capability of doing something, you know, very genre. And at the time, we didn't necessarily know how important genre is to the market. Uh, and we just we just sort of like, what are we going to do? We did this. We ended up doing the feature uh, weekends and evenings with friends and, and some more professional people whenever we could find them and bring them on board. Um, and then, yeah, we took it to Cannes. This is a very short version of this. It took about two years. <laughs> took it to Cannes. And very, very luckily, you know, we, we spoke to a bunch of sales agents. Uh, one of them we went with and, you know, it sold a bunch of countries and then we did our second film and there's another story for you. <laughs> yeah. But so when you did that first one, the short that turned into the feature, like, did you have any idea of how distribution worked or any idea of the inner workings of all that? Or did you just like fumble your way through it? Like take us through a bit of that. Cause that's, that's, that's yeah, a big that's a thing question. to go from, from, you know, nothing of a short to turn into a feature and then to get it sold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming you sold it at Cannes, like it, when you go into like the hotels and you like kind of rent out Correct. a room and okay. Well, we did, well, we didn't do that. We, we kind of wandered the halls. So the for those that don't know, do you want to yeah. explain what, yeah. what happens at Cannes? Cause there is the, yeah. the Cannes film yeah. festival, like the prestigious one, but then Cannes is also a place where films get sold. So anything that you would have seen on television about the Cannes film festival, is not even 2% of the actual market and festival that's there. If you've basically seen the red carpet, you haven't really, you don't really know anything about Cannes. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a lot of people they understand what goes on. They don't know. And that's not meant to be disrespectful. They don't know. Because if you haven't been, you don't know. And so essentially what it is, uh, the Marche du film is essentially a market 
it's like a it's like a trade market where people essentially buy and sell acquire and sell films primarily sales agents are there to sell to distributors uh, occasionally they might acquire it. We're quite strict because uh, for those who don't know, I'm a partner in Evolutionary Films. Uh, we're a production company, sales agent and UK distributor. That probably might have been a good thing for me to say at the start. Um, so we, yeah. we do film sales and, and distribution as well. Um, but at that point when I made my first feature, uh, I had been to Cannes several years in a row. I'd been since 1999 because a friend of mine was having a film show there and I just thought, what better time than to actually go because I'll have a reason to go. I'll, I'll have an actual reason to attend, you know. Um, so I, I had gathered a certain amount of information on sales and distribution, but uh, tangentially, like I said, you know, we'd meet people, talk to people and so forth. In fact, there were a couple of sales agents there that were very nice to us as fledgling filmmakers. Uh, one company was, I think, Canadian, in fact, called H3O back in the day, run by okay. John Curtis. Not familiar and with them. But... Yeah, I think, I think they might be called something else now. Before that, they were called Prophecy. Okay. Uh, really nice people. They made some great genre movies with people like Michael Dudikoff, uh, Brian uh, Brian Bosworth, like people like that. Like it was, yeah, they were a lot of fun. Uh, and they, but yeah, they did sort of give us the ins and outs. When they found out, I was a massive fan of Canon Films, uh, Golan Globus, who really did do a lot of things for the Cannes film market back in the day. Like they, they started things like pre-sales, all sorts of things. Um, it was amazing when you think about it. When if you go back and, and look at the, how the company operated. Um, and so they, he kind of like told me a bit more about the business and that was really helpful. So when we went with the feature, I, I didn't have the, the biggest, you know, like, like the most uh, uh, detailed information of sales and, and distribution, but I had an idea. Okay. Like, like, like I understood that action works. That was probably it. <laughs> it really, <laughs> um, um, because we were much more focused on wanting to make films as opposed to uh, the market end it was fortunate that we made a film that was commercial. And uh, this is a piece of advice we give to everybody all the time when people contact us is think about who your film is for. Right. We, That's a good we point. Were, yeah. We were kind of lucky in that, like the films we love are the films we like to make. So it's, it's almost again, tangential that that happens to be what the market likes over action tends to be fairly evergreen. Right. Fairly yeah. Evergreen. So, and it was lucky, but what we did was this crazy set of fights, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was it's a bananas amount of action in Left 4 Dead, um, with some very talented martial artists and a lot of, a lot of guys who genuinely went on to be very successful, uh, like screen fighters and, um, stunt men and stuff in the industry today, which is really exciting, really, when I, again, when I look back, so it's kind of fun. Um, so yeah, so, so at that time I had a little bit of information, but really, we learned much more when we had a product we could show them, when we could actually show essentially sales agents who would, in theory, make money off your film. You know, so it's a commercial product. In those days, did you bring around, did you have a tape, like a beta or, or a <laughs> uh, DVD? No, no. Or we, what did we you have? Just, we were just at the dawn of DVD screeners. Oh, okay. We're so you're able to, did you have a room or did you just bring around a disc or like a portable? Well, we basically brought around like watermarked screeners, essentially. Okay, and we, did you we, cut it into yeah. like a trailer or sizzle? Like, oh, we had, a, we had, a, oh no, we had a trailer. Yeah, we had. I'm trying to remember back in the day. Now, I think we had, a, we had more like a. I think it was more like a sizzle back in the day. Thinking right. about it, it's a long, long time ago. Uh, so we had, to, we had like a post. Yeah, we had some marketing material. Yeah, very basic marketing materials, um, and that just helped. And we, we gave it to a number of sales agents. Uh, to look at all of whom were fairly fine and most of them are still around today which is i guess a good sign uh, give or take uh and um and fun, funnily enough when we were sort of towards the end of, of our time there we were kind of thinking who are we gonna you know because we had a few 
agents say they were interested, you know. Uh, and then we went back to the one who we ended up going with, which was uh, Worldwide, uh, run by Barbara Mudge, who was lovely. Um, we sort of said, uh, well, they, they said they really wanted the movie, and that was really great. But they ended up actually doing a genre division. They used to do things like um, kind of like faith-based uh, movies, that kind of stuff. They did other things, but they did a lot of that. It's a big jump to they go to action do- then after doing well, faith-based well, I mean, they did some other stuff too, but they were sort of, they did have that kind of that kind of area. But then they they actually ended up doing a genre sort of wing because of it. They took on several more movies and like it was kind of cool. It was, it was kind of a cool experience. And we 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 sat down with them. And we said, well, okay, well, what we want to do is we want to take the movie home and kind of like true. It was way too long. It was an hour and fifty minutes. And we were like, we know that's too long. We want to get it down to you know like ninety whatever. Just we want to cut a load out because we know it's too big. And she said to us, well, actually, we've already shown it to buyers and we've got several deals we could do. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we were, yeah, we were like, uh, where do we sign? Yeah. Kind of, like, like for first time feature makers, you know, to go over there and, and have that happen was. And look, we were not, I'm not going to pretend it was um, a fortune by any means, uh, but it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary validation of the work that I guess we put in. You know? Yeah, look, like uh, I know a lot of the times, like we we like to attribute success and and like financial success of a film as the same. But like, if you make an independent film and you set out to make something and just get it released somewhere, that's its own success in and of itself. Especially when you're, you know, running against like budget constraints or time constraints or what what have you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's cool, man. Like, so you, the first thing you did, you were able to bring it to cans and so you get like a, did you sell just like a worldwide, like exclusive rights deal or like, uh, how did deals done, break out no, back in done. the day? It, it was done. It's not too far away from like it was say. we didn't, we didn't like get an MG from, from worldwide. They, they, they did each deal and we got, you know, they got their cut. We got our cut essentially. Right. So it was a fairly, it was a fairly straightforward model. It was MG is a uh, minimum guarantee by the way. So that's a, a, oh, yes. a, an amount Sorry. of money <laughs> up front that a company would, would give to a film, uh, to buy a film. Um, and then th- those numbers can vary from time to time, but, uh, sometimes you get an MG and a split or just a split, or they just give you money and then they say like, this is ours now forever. But, uh, yeah exactly um that's interesting um so that's your jumping off point so from there like did this company contact you again and say like hey do you have more ideas in in the thing or are you guys shooting another film or it didn't it didn't really work that way and and not for any reason that i can remember like there was never any or anything but we ended up because we'd um i kind of got or we even got taken under the wing of a very prolific australian producer called david hannay who made so many movies uh and in fact i mean he made a movie called the man from hong kong which i was always a very big fan of uh and uh, a very a classic biker movie called stone amongst many many others and we kind of got taken under his wing phil contacted him first in fact and he introduced us to our next sales agent which was ifm sales uh and and essentially an australian outfit but based in la uh, and we were just talking about what we were going to do next, which resulted in being the movie Ten Dead Men, uh, which uh, did, you know, for again, for a very, very like nearly nearly no money movie, we sold a bunch of territories. It, it did really well um, and got got a fair bit of profile, which was nice. Uh, 
and and it was a much slicker more stripped down movie this time yeah you know, we, we obviously were like we're gonna make sure this is a tight lean movie you know we, we had sort of our own aims behind doing it kind of thing um the only the only difficulty that it presented us with in the end was that they were really on us to deliver the movie before like whichever whichever market i can't remember if it, I can't remember if it was afm or cam or one of the markets and we had to really push in the post to kind of i, I think in the end the movie's fine although i, I I, I see all the things that I'm not happy with still. You always obviously. do, eh? Yeah, I can't, can't, can't help it. Um, but you know, but in, in the end, we delivered it. It sold a bunch of places. That's great. So it's hard, it's hard to complain. Um, so did they give you budget of, that for that, or did they say like, no? Did they no, say like that, uh, you find your no. own sort of budget for this, and then we'll distribute it, or? It was. I mean, in the end, initially, it was sort of you know, you deliver this movie, we will sell it for you. Okay. which was fine and again and again that, that did end up working out well uh i think in many ways i wish it's, it's you know it's all 2020 hindsight i think i wish that in the towards the end of the post process we should have just said you know what it's not going to work for this market guys you're going to have to wait right like, I th- I, and i and, and, and look it, the film would have only have been i don't know 10 percent better objectively you, you know in terms of like just really finishing it properly uh, I feel like it was, I feel like that was slightly wasted, but in the end we're now, that was 12 years ago. So, you know, right. <laughs> like yeah, get, get on with it, get on with the next thing. Um, but, but yeah, that, that was an ever so slight, uh, I don't, I don't even want to say I regret exactly, but I feel like maybe we should have just pushed and said, listen, we really want to finish uh, the, the post on this properly. Yeah. The water uh, is and, and all that. So I, with that, like, do they have much say over, like, do, are they like, checking over your script before you shoot are they like you guys got to have really, x amount of no, this this and no, that or are they like not, whatever not you make or we, we trust you kind of thing or I, yeah I, I will say I don't, I don't remember them putting in any particular demands per se we, we were fairly specific about what we were going to do already and i think i think we could be again maybe we'd have to ask phil or, or even the sales guys i think i think we were fairly specific about what we were doing we kept them apprised yeah we never it was never a a distant thing we were always fairly up to date with what we were doing you know yeah so uh yeah and, and again i think if they had we would have said well give us some money then because if you're deciding things you know i think that would have i think we would have probably uh, uh what's the word sort of re- uh, recoiled a touch if they had if that had been the situation yeah no no doubt and, and as a filmmaker i'm sure you feel this way too just having like creative autonomy over the project is is paramount you know i I also noticed you edit a lot of your stuff too so yeah so you have a lot of like me control issues where you want to control everything i'm assuming (laughs) i mean mean, only to do it and um 50 50 yeah the reason why i say that is first of all i work with my business partners and producers john adams and diane shorthouse john's the ceo diane is the d of evolutionary films and they are the producers certainly the the vengeance franchise um and so i always get good notes from them whether it's script post etc you know they're on the set obviously so so it's a good collaboration with them you know we don't always agree on everything but why would we you know that's 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 good though yeah, we, I don't think you should. Exactly. I think that there's sometimes when things are too harmonious, I feel like there's complacency. Mm. So it's it's okay to rub up against people, like like not not literally, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any of those stories getting out. Well, no, especially I, um, with COVID now too, you got to keep right. your six feet. <laughs> keep your six feet and your gloves and your mask. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, but no, it's, it's a strong relationship in that, in that, um, you know, they're, 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 and again, John and Diane are constantly talking to our buyers in terms of distributors internationally. So it's, that's a good relationship. You want to maintain 
uh, like continuity between what your buyers are expecting and what you're delivering. Right. It's really important. Again, for anyone listening who's making films or planning to make a movie or whatever, do your market research. It, people will talk – distributors and sales agents will speak to you if you're very – you need to be really clear about what you're doing. Um, and, you know, look, you, might need to, you might need to nudge them. They're not all going to reply immediately. But, they, but people will talk to you. We want – you know, as a sales agent and a distributor, we want product. We want product we know that we can sell. You yeah. Know? So – we're very and you don't have to agree with everything that people are telling you of course but if you're genuinely making a movie and you've invested whether it's money your money investors money even sweat equity you know just the time and effort that you're putting into it or that your your colleagues or friends or whatever are putting into it if you really want it to have some kind of release or profile or whatever whatever you want to call it speak to the people who make that happen it's just common sense we have phones and emails you know we're, we're very open overall again might take a while sometimes to come back because you know we're doing stuff but we're always interested in what is coming through you know we're always looking for films in post or films that are about to shoot you know what, what are you actually doing who are you casting you know how can we make this you know more applicable to the, the things that we know our buyers are looking for that that's that's really great sound advice uh so to segue that a bit so you're releasing uh, I Am Vengeance Retaliation now. Um, walk me through a bit of like your thought process of releasing a film during like a global pandemic. And like, did you, <laughs> yeah. was this something that was in, obviously probably in the release schedule or to begin with? And then are, are you just releasing as planned or did your marketing strategy have to completely change because of, you know, the pandemic? So we've, We've we've actually released a few titles during the pandemic for very very and fairly different movies and stuff. We've got some more coming out fairly soon. We've got a new movie called Tribal coming out, which has just been released in the states through SP releasing. A uh, really good fun sort of survival horror martial arts action movie. Uh, and um, we, when it comes to I Am Vengeance Retaliation, it all kind of stood on our North American distributors who were Saban and Lionsgate, and they they're amazing, obviously. Uh, with the first film, with I Am Vengeance, uh, or as it's known, Vengeance in some territories, uh, with the first movie, they actually, it was my first film as a director that was released theatrically in the States. Oh, um, wow. Across 10 Congratulations. States. Yeah, it wasn't, thank you. It wasn't very long, but it was amazing. It was in 10 states. Uh, my sister, who lives in South Beach, you know, sent me a photo of the title on the billboard. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. Exciting, exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing for me. So, yeah, so, so very great. I believe... You know, I say this with some education. I believe that the plan was originally going to be to try and do some kind of theatrical release with the sequel. But I think also they obviously have their own slots that they have to release. You know, they're a very big company. They obviously have to fill their whatever their quotas or, or schedules are. Um, and at some point, they probably had to think, well, we've just got to release this movie. You can't just wait indefinitely. So, you know, it, it, and it's possible again you'd have to speak to them it's possible that the, the pandemic or, or the quarantine aspect may have influenced them say look we have a trapped home audience so let's yeah. just go for it you know um and as part of the deal because they, they have ep credits on the movie no other territory could release before them okay so we, they could release the same day but we can't release before them and in fact we, we've, we've just released in the uk last week which has gone really well um, and there are many other territories that I believe are releasing in the coming months. So, I mean, they obviously all have their own strategies, right? Uh, again, with us, we would have loved to have done, you know, a, a, at least a premiere event screening. We were talking theatrically. But again, at some point, you have to release the movie. Yeah. You, know, you just have to 
you just have to, we can't sit on it indefinitely. Was drive-ins um, ever on the table? Well, they, it's funny. We, do we, they do we, drive-ins we, in the UK as well? Well, or? that's a really good question. Funnily enough, I'm attending my first drive-in premiere this Wednesday of a, of a movie, a drama that a friend of mine produced, which I'm very excited about. It's in Brent Cross in London, where there is actually a drive-in venue. Uh, and they're doing things like movies. They're also doing like stand-up comedy. They're doing all kinds of things in this venue, which is a great idea. Uh, drive-ins were never really a thing uh, as opposed to the States, just in terms of, you know, you need a lot that's big enough, you know, and all the technology that goes with it. Yeah, so we have space there, there here are, for it. <laughs> right. And, and, and there are, I mean, look, and your driving culture goes back to what, the 50s, I think? Yeah, Am I something right? like maybe, that. Maybe it was more. a lot more popular, so, I remember, in the 90s when I was a kid. And now it's oh, right. got its own, like resurgence like uh here in ottawa there's like a company that just popped up overnight and they just they got they got a field they got a screen and like they're wow. hacking cars in uh, like right now they have shows planned Amazing. they have films planned we're in state our, our quote-unquote stage three here too so movie theaters mm -hmm. are allowed to have people in it with limited capacity and you got to wear a mask the whole time but so right yeah it's uh, it's changed the game for sure but that is exciting. Like, I mean, drive-ins are always fun, and it is like I, I do see genre pictures being popular in a drive-in to begin with. So right, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so we don't have what you would call necessarily the culture of it, but there are certainly venues popping up, and people are starved of things to do. Right, so if they see something happening, they'll probably go. You know, you probably you probably will book people in, um, depending on how that balances against their fear of other things. Right. Yeah. So it's I'm still. Bit of like curious because like at least in the 90s a car you can turn off the lights but now all mm -hmm. the cars are automatically the lights are on and oh like, yeah so, really like, so it's either you're going to get eaten by like flies or mosquitoes because your windows are down or you're going to have <laughs> your car on with the ac and your lights are going to be on so i'm still curious about Unless how that works can... but i don't know well do they do they this is purely a, a question do they have the screen elevated so that it would be above the like the range of the light if you see what i'm You'd saying still like, be does that blind in the guy behind you or in front of you though right so oh i suppose so yeah yeah you're right i have no idea how that works yeah so how weird yeah. yeah anyways um so walk me through <laughs> <laughs> so walk me through like uh, at least the first uh, i am vengeance film um was this the first time you attached like sort of a quote-unquote like a, a star or a name to something with uh Stu bennett mean, or yes yeah, yeah, and Gary Daniels certainly martial arts action legend, really, um, as well as a few other people. There's there's also um, uh, Keith Allen, who in the UK is a very well known character actor. Okay, uh, and it's done a bunch of movies and TV as well. But but um, so yeah, in many ways that really was my first. Although I had worked with with like if you like name actors in various other capacities, like I've done fight coordination and worked with certain people, and it's, you know, and I've, I've I've worked with some people that you would call names, I guess, previously. Um, and I've certainly met a number in, you know, at screenings and things. So I didn't feel totally out of my depth. Right. Um, and in the end, when you're making a movie, regardless of your role, and I mean, it's in the best way, you're there to do the job. Yeah. So get the job done, <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, and of course, we had Anna Schaffer, who was fantastic uh, from, from Harry Potter and now The Witcher. So, you know, it was, it was great. No, it was a very great experience. And, uh, uh, the cast and crew all, all the way around did a great job. Actually, it was it was remarkable. Um, it was certainly my first production as a director where I, I saw on, on day two I had this strange experience where I was like watching people. We we, we were you know setting up the next scene or whatever, and we were everyone was like scurrying around getting everything done. And I was like, there are so many people working on this movie. <laughs> like, 
what on earth? and I don't have to put anyone's coats away. Like what, <laughs> what's happening? Like it's so strange. And I don't mean that even negatively. I'll do whatever on a film. So I love I just love being on a set and working. Um so it was kind of a <laughs> kind of a strange thing. And then but you know, that moment passed, it was like, well, get on with it now. Come on, that's really cool, but get on with it. Yeah, you just um, focus on, on your job and Yeah, get it delivering your day. You know? Do you yeah. write the script and then do you talk to your producers like who could we offer this role to or do you talk to them before you well, write the script and like hey we have this idea would this yeah. be something you're into or so on the first one it was a quite specific thing where i wrote the script and we were kind of like mulling it over and, and developing it and so forth and so forth and then um a friend of mine uh, scott adkins was shooting uh, a film for the wwe called eliminators at three mil studios which is where usually three films is based we have an office there okay uh, our production office if you like um and i knew he was going to be there. and i knew a bunch of people on the production because again local genre movie people you know there's there's a, a pool of us if you like right <laughs> so so that was fun uh and Stu was going to be well he was the lead villain um and uh and i, I yeah i went down to the set you know I, you, you don't try to interrupt people but it's nice to see everybody there so i had a couple of chats with people saw scott you know spoke to some people here and there didn't really get a chance to speak to Stu very much we sort of said hello you know briefly but that was kind of it and then um so this is a slightly strange this is this is the i don't know this is sort of a case of making your own luck i think right um i'm i'm sitting it's about i don't know they've been there for a couple of weeks or two or three weeks at the studio and i get a phone call from a friend who's a stunt guy nothing to do with uh eliminators but he's, he's a nice guy and he said i'm bringing my cousin my cousin's come to London. He'd like to look around a film studio. Would you mind if we popped three mils? And you should, if this is in East London, so people know. Uh, and I was like, sure. I mean, it's a bunch of buildings. Like, like you want to come in the evening. A studio is just a, like a set of warehouses in right, an evening. Yeah. But I was like, sure, I'm here. It, yeah, it'd be lovely to see you. Haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, all of that stuff. And uh, he shows up. And uh, I mean, his cousin is very nice. And then someone else jumps out of a car who is a long-term friend of mine, uh, a stunt guy and actor called Jason Beeston, who was actually in Left for Dead and a bunch of my other stuff. It was a real surprise to see him. He was like, lovely to see him, blah, 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 chit-chat, chit-chat. We're just about to start showing uh, this the, the friend around the studio when Stu Bennett literally sort of walks around from around the corner with a PA who I'd met a couple of times on the shoot from Eliminators. And the first thing that happens is my friend Jason leaps on top of Stu. Now, anyone who's seen Stu, he's Big six dude. foot five or something, or six foot six or something. Anyway, and I'm like, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, You're embarrassing turned, me. <laughs> well, well, I mean, but I don't even really know him at this point, right? He just, he just leaps on him. And it turns out that my friend Jason has actually very briefly doubled Stu in a couple of moments for Eliminators. I have ah. no idea. So it was all very random. I didn't know he was going to be there. I certainly didn't know that he knew Stu. And he went, oh, have you met my friend Ross? He's this really great director. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, hi. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and he, and he kind of goes, hey, blah, 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 chit-chat, chit-chat. I said, he said, yeah, are you working on anything? I said, well, funnily enough, uh, I'm, I'm camping an action And she would really like you to read the script. And he was like, oh, okay. And I said, uh, is it right if I can literally go and get it from the office just, just over there? And he went, sure, yeah. So the friends kind of kept him talking, <laughs> and I I turned the corner and then I ran like as far, like I was so out of breath. I, I had to do three flights of stairs. 
It's not even kidding. And I, I was in much worse shape than I am now. It's embarrassing. Um, like, I, I literally ran up to the office where Diane was actually printing out a batch of scripts. Like, because we were going to start. They're still hot. And I, and, and I, not even joking. I was like, it's Stu's downstairs. I really, can you just, and she threw me a script, which was amazing. And I just pelted back out of there. And I got to that corner, slowed myself down. Try to get my breathing under control. They kind of stroll back around the corner. And gave Make it seem script. like, like, uh, not too uh, but, obvious. But it reminded me of if you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the bit where the the, the principal is like dashing between the classrooms yes. and walking in front of the doors. <laughs> it's kind of that. Yeah. I mean, like my eye, my eyebrows were sweating. Like everything was sweating. It's disgusting. Anyway, he took the script, um, chit chat, chit chat. And then, you know, he read it. We had a chat. John and Diane, obviously, as a producer, spoke to him and his agents and everything. And that's kind of where it went from. But um, um, it just goes to show you, I found out not long after that that was his last day in the studio. Yeah. If, we hadn't, if we hadn't seen him at that moment, I would. Now, we could have sent the script to his agent. Of course, that's fine. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that would have all been good. But meeting him personally at that point and having and the fact that Jason knew him and they got on well, you know, all of this stuff. Very serendipitous, wow. eh? It, very much. That's great. Very much. Um, so in the UK, do you guys have similar uh, like acting unions like SAG or like we have here, Actra? And like, uh, like, do you have to make uh, films under those regulations with actors? So like when you approach somebody like Stu, is he like a union actor oh, or... So- so we have equity, equity. Uh, and we have the stunt register. We do a lot of movies that you would just basically call non-union. Right. For a better way of saying it. Um, I know that I'm not, I'm not sure where Stu fell. This is slightly more of a producer question. So I'm not sure if Stu just fell under like SAG because he's based in America. Right. He was based in Florida. He briefly went to New York and then I believe he's in LA now. So, so I'm not sure of all of those concerns for him i don't actually know that a uh, bit more of a producer question um in the uk you can sort of choose i mean I, I don't want to speak too out of school you can sort of choose to do things non-union but then of course it does you know you don't want to step on anyone's toes we, we, we wouldn't be non-union to stick a thumb up at anyone you know that's not right. the point it's more about what can you actually afford from your budget etc totally yeah um, so you know but we, we we but all of our <laughs> i don't know why I, feel, I suddenly feel the need to say everything we do is legal we're all good <laughs> we are no no but, look like uh, like here in, in canada the the union laws are really strict um where like if you you can if you're running a union production you can only have union members on it so like right. if you have one actor member it, or if you have one yeah. non-actor member or a SAG member or whatever, you have to pay penalties for that person every day. Right. So it really makes wow. it like budget prohibitive, like for yeah. any type of independent film, like your, your, your minimum budget is a million bucks to make like a single location union flick. So, right. um, so, but I'm, I'm assuming it's a, the laws are a little looser there or like they're just, yeah, a little less... I mean, from what I, again, I'm not, maybe I'm not the best person to ask about it, but yeah, we, I feel, I feel like we've never had any particular issues with anything as such. Like we've never, I don't think we've ever had any actual, like, oh my God, we have to do this, 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 and this now, you know, it's nothing like that. Right. Well, that's good. Cause yeah, it can be like a real stick in our spokes here in Canada. Like yeah. we're, we're, in, we're, we've written something recently and approached a few people about it and then we find out they're actress like ah it sinks the whole we can't we can't cast them at all you know 
because like, exactly. like we're not we're never gonna raise a couple million bucks for for something like this so it's like a small and also, and, and also dare i say on the other side is it worth raising the money oh, like in terms of if you're if it's a commercial venture is it actually worth raising that much like can you make that money back on the people exactly that you're spending, exactly it's a terrible there, it's a terrible thing to say but it's super relevant yeah the bite's not worth the chew like mm. But, that's uh, a good phrase. I didn't know that. That's a great phrase. Yeah, I just made it up. I don't know if, if it's a real <laughs> thing or not. Uh, I think I'm just hungry. Um, so, so you get to work with uh, Stu on the first one. Obviously, he had a good enough time uh, and it was successful enough that uh, you wanted to come back for the sequel. Like, Run us through what, what that was like, just having a, a success with the first one enough that it was it like a discussion that there was going to be a sequel or was it... Like, you know, should, you know, run us through a bit of that. Well, funnily enough, when we delivered the first movie to a, a I was going to say a bunch of buyers, but yeah, a bunch of our buyers, pardon me, a number of them came back pretty swiftly and just said, what are you doing for a sequel then? And we were like, okay. Uh, it's, we're writing it. Yeah. Like, like they were like on the phone to be going, get, get writing. The sequel. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of was like that. Like, in terms of how the film was, the first film was received, uh, you know, look, I, I'm a realist. I know what the flaws are of, of everything I do all too well. And I don't, again, I don't mean that from a negative position. I just mean I'm not delusional about what we make and, and how we sell it and everything. Like, it's a, it's a very commercial venture. Uh, we're as creative as is humanly possible. And, you know, you want to push the bar and everything. Uh, but I'm not someone who sits there going, isn't that a work of art? You know, I'm very happy for any success that we have. And I'm usually super proud, of course, of the people involved. Like if, if um, for reviews for retaliation, certain cast members have been like praised pretty much university reviews. And I'm so happy for them. That's great. And, 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 and dare I say, uh, in a slightly mercenary way, hopefully it means I did my job right too like, like in fact hopefully we all did um even when an, so when an individual is picked out that's amazing but hopefully it's all the work that went into it with them if you see what i'm saying kind of hopefully yeah. brings it all out yeah right. if, if you did I your job right you almost become invisible you know yeah like like the editing for stars you shouldn't notice editing should you, you know? no unless um, it's like something really really obvious but yeah like yeah uh, of course yeah if it's a, an act yeah if you're doing uh if you are going, look at me, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, I try not to, uh, but anyway. But no. So, so there was that, and then there was the development of the script and like what we're at, what we're aims going to be with the sequel, the second movie. So, just for people who don't know, Retaliation, you do not have to have seen the first movie. You don't have to have watched it to watch the second movie. I mean, it helps. There are only two returning characters from the first movie. Uh, you don't really need to know what happened. Like you don't need the events of the first movie don't particularly have any bearing on the second. That was very intentional. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I think it fills you in a bit on who Stu's character is, but I think that also comes across if you just watch the second movie on its own merits. I think if you watch uh, the trailer, you, you get a sense too of, of oh, what yeah, it, what's sure. going to happen. Um, so yeah. in writing the, the, the sequel, um, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, the market and knowing your audience. Um, it is a decision to get somebody like Vinnie Jones in the film. Is that like, look, do we, we want to go after kind of like, you know, we, we need a heavy for the movie. Here, mm. Here's our top five list. You know, uh, do we send them a script and an offer or, or is it another thing where you accidentally ran into Vinnie Jones somewhere at the supermarket? <laughs> no, no. Or? Pretty, pretty hard to accidentally run into Vinnie. Um, no, uh, 
so there's a few things that happen. Again, John and Diane were instrumental, of course, in putting this together. Uh, our aims for the second movie were, well, there was a few aims. First of all, if we're doing, obviously we're doing a genre movie. So the aim is to go, and I, I use this phrase in inverted commas, uh, bigger and better. So that would infer more of what you would call an action movie. The first movie is more like a revenge thriller with action sequences in it. Um, it's, I mean, the, the pitch for the first movie was essentially get Carter meets Commando, for the better way of saying it. Right. Um, and then the second movie was much more along the lines of uh, it's going to be less retro, even though it's, it's an absolute nod to films of the 80s and 90s. But the styling of it is going to be more contemporary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like get a bit of a Assault on Precinct 13 vibes, at yes. least at the start, you know? The yeah. original, like the John Carpenter yeah, one. I'm a massive fan of that movie. Yeah, a that's a great movie. one. Yeah, I love that movie. Uh, at some point, I'm going to end up doing something. <laughs> like, it's going to be a one location. Just you know, action siege, movie. Siege movie. Siege movie is bound to happen at some point. That's great. Um, my 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 friend, one of my friends who's based in LA now, does a lot of uh, writing and directing. Uh, we used to have this idea. We wanted to pitch a movie that was Die Hard on a chair. Die Hard. Because it, it wasn't Die. You know, they had Die Hard on a train, Die Hard on a plane, Die, die, hard, just on die hard on a bus, Die Hard on a boat, just a chair, just a single chair, and see how we could make that work. Like, yeah, we didn't expect it to go anywhere, but we liked the pitch. That's that's a that's uh, a challenge. That's a writing challenge right there. Precisely. There's two hours on a chair shooting people. Uh, like, this will work. We can make this work. Um, well, Willis is, what, a million a day? So we can probably do that. Uh, anyway. So, <laughs> one day, so, one chair, one man. One, that's all you need. There you go. Perfect pitch. No, it'd be one man, one gun, one chair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the end. Uh, and no man in the poster, just the chair. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I don't know what we're talking about. There we go. We're, so, we're so, making a so, new so, movie. So, we're we're going to get off the podcast right now. And, it's it's on um so uh, but the point is yeah bigger and better as a sequel as a, as a genre movie so that meant more action and it meant making the movie more action based as opposed to a thriller like as opposed to a revenge even we wanted to keep the theme of revenge but we translated the theme of revenge sort of to another character uh we wanted to open up gold's character more and the way to do that was to kind of bounce him off more characters so the idea of a team movie like a more of a team movie with with gold still as a lead character but more of a team movie and then the idea of a nemesis from his past so the idea was to open up his character in those various ways he kind of becomes a bit lighter through the movie because he interacts with uh shapiro and lynch who are two of the soldiers that he works with who are much more you know kind of a bit more upbeat and then of course his scenes with uh, the character sean teague who was played by vinnie jones again the idea was to open up about his past without being too detailed so they, they have conversations it kind of there's a fight in the middle of the retaliation which is this fight in an alleyway where you kind of get some of their acrimonious relationship coming out but i didn't want it to be like i remember that time in bulgaria where you fucked me over you know, right 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 hate all that stuff but it's sort of insinuated right so uh, so you have yeah. him on set for like do you plan out his days like hey like is that like part of the offer? You like, look, we only need you for three days or a day. And, or... It's funny because I think that the perception would be that in you know with a, a modestly budgeted UK movie, action movie, genre movie, uh, but you know you get a, a you know he's a very he's a very well known household name. I think that there's probably a perception out there, but yes, you 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 get you got Vinny in for two days or something. Vinny was with us for three weeks, nearly pretty really? much three weeks. It was a four week shoot. He was with us for uh, I think basically three weeks. Yeah, the, the, the vast majority of the shoot, uh, which was really, um, what's the word? It was it was very helpful because 
you're first of all you're not rushing every i mean it's always a, every day is a rush obviously you're chasing daylight but it meant that we really had him like to work with him properly uh, yeah we had a very long chat before he came on board be, be, before we were shooting i should say rather uh which was really beneficial about his ideas on the character uh, and what he wanted to bring to it and then yeah it was a proper process working with him you That's know great. so yeah, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't. Don't get me wrong. We had to schedule it like anything else. Like our first AD, Marius Hambalides, was incredible. Um, but we scheduled him like we would schedule anyone else, except for, of course, we only had him for these three weeks. So there was that. Uh, same with Stu, really. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a matter of. It wasn't a thing where it was like, right, we've got him for three days. We just need to shoot him out. It, it just wasn't really shoot like close-ups. We have a double for right. the yeah. walking no. away scenes. Or... No, it really, that really didn't happen at all. And I think. That, Hopefully that might, I hope that shows, if that may, I hope people don't sit there thinking, you know, oh, they only had him for a day, I don't know. Um, obviously he's doubled in, in, in the action scenes by a terrific stunt guy called Aaron DeStreet from Brighton, which is my hometown, very proud. Uh, but Vinny does do some of his own action too. And one of the things I loved about working with him is, is Vinny throws with what I call intent. Like when he throws a punch, when Vinny Jones throws a punch, it, it looks like he's trying to kill you. Like it's, yeah. it's really great. And he picks up choreo super well like very quickly i think that's so, important too like and you, and you can maybe speak to this better than i can but just there is like a difference between throwing like a punch where i'm trying to fight you or like a movie punch where you're oh yeah and oh it's huge and selling huge. a punch too like the other thing is like when the getting hit point you know like for for uh in a film like you really got to sell that that hit to it's, yeah, and that's so on the actor and the stunt performer and it's it's, it's a whole art in and of itself to to really have a believable fight scene, you know? It's it's very true. Selling is is equally as important as the person throwing. But also, and again, I don't know how many people know about this, obviously Stu's previous career was as, as a WWE superstar, Wade Barrett and uh, Bad News Barrett, and he had plenty of uh, wrestling names, and he's still working in the field today, but not in the ring. And he was essentially a heel, which meant he got the shit kicked out of him on a regular basis in in the ring. It really so, shows in so in the Stu, action with him, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because considering how big Stu is and how much of a unit he is and his combat abilities and everything, <laughs> a unit. Um, he, he, well, he's he's he, but 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 he sells like like if you think about it, when you watch the classic movies with Arnie and to a degree Stallone, although Stallone took more hits, I think overall, <laughs> a lot of these guys never used to really take the hits. Stallone did in, in Rocky, like as a boxer, but a lot of the time the heroes were kind of invulnerable, you know, right, and, yeah. and, look, and, I, and I love those movies. I'm not disrespecting those movies whatsoever. I love them all. Um, but there's something about the fact that Stu, in like, in, in, like, in, like I say, in, in verticals, in real life, has taken the hits, right? Yeah. Where, and, and, and given how big he, you know, given, given his invulnerability, you know, his, his perceived invulnerability, if you like, on screen, when you then get him fighting Vinny, Vinny is, is, a, is a credible threat on screen to Stu. And, and look, we all know that Vinny had his, his uh, hard man of football career, which is one of the things that made him very famous in the UK and probably across the world. Um, and he's absolutely convincing on screen as a villain and he has physical capability that was one of you know these were contributing factors to having someone like Vinny step into the role of Teague we needed someone who could square up to Stu on screen be commanding be authoritative have what's the word make their relationship believable and credible you know in the past um and also have a good sense of humor you know all of those other you know the other things that kind of build the character but it needed to be somebody in the first movie we had Gary Daniels who again for anyone who doesn't know amazing martial artist very powerful i mean like very strong on screen 
um, and very capable, like super capable martial arts wise. So he was a very credible threat in the first movie and a very different kind of fighter, very different kind of style, right? So, so it was really important for the sequel in terms of bigger and better. And again, I use that advisedly um, <laughs> to have, have have to have a, an actor who 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 can match up for re, like you know like for real in terms of screen terms, and of course have the marketability and household name level. For sure, honestly, too, Vinnie Jones is just an actor that if he was just reading his grocery list aloud, I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. he just, yes. he's got that presence uh, as they say. Um, so yeah. So talk to me a bit about production, like what, like a day in day out type, what, what's like a normal day on an action set and, you know, a bit about like directing action and how you build your shot list out. And, you know, obviously you're trying to think about everything. Do you, just plan a scene like uh, like uh, sort of like how Hong Kong stuff is done. Like you go shot by shot or do you plan to like strike the room with coverage? Walk us a bit through of like your process of directing on an action. Okay, cool. So my, uh, this is all very personal. Some people will probably relate. Some people might not. Um, a, f- a fight scene is absolutely the same as a dialogue scene. As in, as in, in terms of the content, a uh, punch, I know it sound. A punch is the same as a verbal insult. It's a sort like it's a it's 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 characters and story. So um, I use this. I kind of use this as a as a sort of a, a frame of reference. If John Gold, who has his own, if you like, experience and training and combat experience, you know, all, of, all of that, if he is attacked by ten different characters, and I'm including people that you might call cannon fodder. You know, people who right. just run in and get hit. The red shirts. But if you, right, yes, absolutely, or ninjas or Nazis or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, I call them cannon fodder. <laughs> um, so literally with reference to cannon movies. Um, but the point is, those 10 people, unless they're part of like the same military unit or something, will all have diverse skills or experiences or training or they're from different parts of the world or whatever, whatever you want to apply to them, right? And, and again, if they're in the same military unit, it means they've just got a, a sort of a, uh, a uniform, perhaps, set of reactions to things, right? Because they've all been in the same, they've all been through the same drills, right? But they're still individual. I hope this is making sense. No, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm completely at, following uh, your train yeah. of thought here. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> so the point is, is that most 10 different characters would attack gold 10 different ways. And that, and that's, and that's leaving out things like, are there weapons lying around? Is there a bottle on the bar? Is that, you know, that's leaving out the environmental stuff, if you like. Right. And in response, in response, gold would respond to those 10 different attacks entirely differently, potentially. Right. So he might duck one or dodge one or grab one's arm and then throw him or, you know what I mean? They're all different. He would respond differently. So that to me is the equivalent of a character's dialogue cause and effect why does someone say something or do something well uh gold blocked that punch because you know jerry threw you know you know what I mean? like the brain right, right. what i've caused the effect like any like any story every fight scene has story beats usually sometimes it's just a fight but for the most part certainly in retaliation in the script writing process i wrote the fight not the choreography except maybe some specific beats like, I don't know, this guy gets hit with a bottle or, you know what I mean? There'll be certain, you know, gold grabs a shotgun and hits the guy over the head with it. There, there are there are story beats that are written, but then you get in someone like Tim Mann, 
our fight choreographer or Dan Styles and Dominic Kinnaird, our tremendous stunt coordinators who all three of them in their own ways are like collaborative storytellers. They, they are obviously Dominic and Dan and certainly Tim are concerned with safety and keeping everyone, you know, like protected as well as making it all look convincing. Uh, Tim Mann is an incredible fight choreographer. For those who don't know, he does a lot of Scott Adkins's movies. He does tons of other movies. He is very creative. He, before he came to the shoot on, on this film, he pre-vised not all of the fights. There's about 19 fights in the movie. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot. of. If you like martial arts action, this is <laughs> yeah. the movie for you. There's a lot. Thank you. There's a lot of fights. He previs not all of them, but the vast majority. We had very small amount of time to prepare, but he got his team together. And for anyone who doesn't know, prevising just simply means choreographing the fights and then filming them with a camera and editing them so that he can use those sequences. You know, I would I would make some notes as well here and there or whatever. But overall, he's fantastic, and he knew what I wanted from the fights. Like he understood where the story was and, and so forth. But we would, you know we would adjust them if needed. But the point is he would then use these sequences to communicate with our, for example, our DOP, Simon Rowling, who was fantastic, uh, production design if needed. And, and obviously the actors and, and anyone else required, he could show that sequence and say, that's what we're going for today. That's what we're aiming at. That's great. Uh, that's a great yeah. way. Like yeah. in a similar way, it's just like a more advanced storyboarding. In a, in Absolutely. A sense. Very, very much. And also the fact that he's run it through with people as well means that he knows that it can be achieved the unforeseen notwithstanding. I was going to say withstanding, not that British. Um, <laughs> and, and of course, here's where the talented cast come in because not everybody, but nearly everyone on the cast had fantastic uh, combat experience, screen combat experience, but, you know, physicality, they understand the deal when you're doing fight scenes. Um, and, and that helps immensely. You know, people who've taken choreo, they understand it, they're focused, you know, they, they also bring their own flavour to it. You know, people like Katrina Durden, Jean-Paul Lee, uh, Greg Burridge, who's a great wrestler. Uh, Joe Egan, who's like, he sparred with Mike Tyson. For anyone who doesn't know who Joe Egan is, like, it's amazing. Um, and, and so many more. Phoebe Robinson-Galvin, uh, Stu himself, of course, you know, and so many other fighters. And 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 the fact that they've all, some of them have already worked together, so that really helps. You know, they've already got some chemistry and they understand each other's spatial relationships, you know, things like that. Um, so anyway, so... I'm, without trying to veer too much of the point the point is we have these sequences we don't always have them but we most do have them so that gives you a starting point secondly it's about we, we were shooting two cameras pretty much continuously barring our last day of filming uh we, we pretty much had two cameras so we would if you like collaboratively figure out what what shots could we knock off for, in terms of where the lighting was and how you know the, the set or wherever we were because you for again anyone who doesn't know you you tend to shoot action Here, so here's a few things about shooting action you might end up shooting it very much out of order depending on the lighting setups. You might sort of decide, let's just shoot this way first, nail all of the material there. And that may mean filming, you know, two punches from the middle, a kick from the end. You know, you might, you just might do that. Uh, and, you know, you tick it off and do it again. The, 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 the broader point is, if you're filming a fight scene, whatever you do, <laughs> this might come to surprise some people, do not shoot the whole scene from nine different angles. Don't, don't do it. And, and the reason why I say that is, first of all, learn the angles that work for the techniques that you're using. Watch movies, you know, like, like figure that out. 
You're going to burn your stunt people out too if you do that. You're going to burn your stunt people and your actors and your whole crew out. And it's genuinely a waste of time because unless it's part of your plan to use a whole length, you know, like a long take, which I, I think are despicable in action scenes, but let's get on that another time. <laughs> uh, I think I think what long take action scenes are, are I'm, not, I'm not knocking the ambition or the work that goes into them. I think they're normally not right for most of the action that they're capturing. I think that there are angles that work best for action but look that's my opinion um that's yeah it's not held not held i appreciate the, the ambition but when i see long take fight scenes it all starts to look like choreography to me yeah it always looks like choreography it looks like they start tip tapping each i just it's just me maybe it's just me I, I i want to like them more i find them very boring i really do because i start to feel the construction of it okay so, I, yeah. so you like more yeah, of an organic like, feel like it it's happening live uh, I feel a, li- a little bit. I mean, I can't. Maybe, maybe I can't name what it is that I like, but I can name what I don't like. If mm. I mean, a bit like, a bit like, if you see someone, I, I, okay, I have no experience with guns except for what my armorer, who, who my armory, t- armory effects are amazing. They make me hold guns to make me understand what it feels like to hold one, and they're right to do that. So I agree, but I don't like guns. Um, I know I don't know anything about guns, but I know that on screen, if I see someone holding a gun and it's wrong, I know it's wrong. Right. I don't. I, I can't tell you what to make it right. I don't know about you. If I see that, I I know it's wrong. Does that does that make sense? So oh, hundred percent. Like, or you're like, or if if they are using like, I'm not sure if you guys use real blank firing guns or if you guys use. We use air, a lot of those. We use a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. Or like uh, the popular thing to do now is like airsoft and whatnot. Yeah. If they're not respecting it in a way, then you're like, ah, hey, yeah. well, you'd never use one of these. Just stances too. Like I've had the oh, yeah, people on what? set too that they're like, uh, they showed me like, well, this is what police really stand like. He's like, but if you're in the movies, this is the way uh, you'll stand for for that right. or right, whatever. All that's it's different. Fighting is different for movies. Exactly. So it's a, yeah, it's about respecting that and understanding it. And look, I mean, yeah, we could go into a minutiae of this all day. Yeah, but, yeah. but the point is, working with the people who understand it, it helps a lot. So, so the point is, don't shoot. Really, don't just don't don't just shoot blank blanket coverage because you'll end up not using it. You're wasting a lot of time. And when you know the right, I, I always say get safety options. Don't necessarily just shoot things one way. I'm not saying don't vary it up. You know, because you know you need some choices in the edit suite, right? Right, but, but there is a there is like yeah. a point where. And even people on set might be like, ah, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, yeah. No, I've, seen, look, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, I worked as a coordinator on a film that I ended up being a great drama. I heard that the director, I didn't know if it was my plan, the director actually said to the DOP, so we're going to shoot all of it from here, then all of it from here. And it's a two-minute fight scene. And it wasn't, it was a super unchoreographed looking fight scene, if that makes sense. Right. It's two people sort of trying to kill each other, which was a fascinating thing to work on. Because it's not the same thing as a movie, what you'd call a movie fight. Right. Um, I heard that, and the actors we were working with in the rehearsal were burning themselves just running through it. And I had to talk to my the guys who brought me on and say, "I just heard the director say this, and I really feel like they're just going to burn. You're just gonna, you're going to get like two good takes, and then yeah, somebody's going to get hurt, or... and someone's going to get hurt. In fact, one of the actors kept kind of hurting themselves in the rehearsal." We had to kind of keep telling them, I'm not going to get into this, but it was, we were really concerned because they were burning energy of people. They were amazing to, oh my goodness, it was an incredible experience. But you don't want to, in real life, you don't want 
that you've just killed your day. Yeah, you've just no. killed your day. So I, I had I had the permission of the producers to go and speak to the director and just say, I had to sort of say, how are you planning? How are you thinking about breaking this down? You know. Yeah. And then he said it, and then I said, can I make can, may I make a suggestion? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was fine. And that wasn't meant to be condescending. It, it is sort of experience, and it's sort of getting trying to get the best out of every day. Yeah. Well, anyway, again, sorry, look, we work in a collaborative medium too, right? So. Right, exactly. Uh, so, so anyway, so the point is, the, the other reason why this works well in terms of not picking your angles is once you've shot it, you can forget about it. You don't have to remember, the, the performers don't have to worry about that piece of action ever again. Yeah. It's done. Move on, tick it off, move on. Yeah. Are you thinking about shots, uh, not only in terms of when you're shooting, but like how it's all going to edit together since you are the editor on the picture or... Yes, the editing, yes, editing is almost forefront in my mind because it's storytelling. So I'm pretty, we did actually have to drop a few things in retaliation on the day, which, and I was like, if and we had, we did a few pickups here and there through, through the shoot, not another day. You know, we, we did, and I was like, I'm not kidding. To refer, I must have been annoyed to the person. I was like, if we don't get this insert, there's no scene. Right. So we really need to find, We re, and he, he was brilliant at what he was doing. He wasn't, you know what I mean? But it was just like, I'm the editor and I know. But if we don't get this little insert of this thing, this scene may. And I'm not. I'm not being pretentious either. It's. It will not edit. Yeah. We we, we need this cut. This moment to be able to cut. You know. So. And that can so sync and edit too. If you're in the it, edit, and you're like, it can, uh... it can destroy a scene. <laughs> it can destroy a scene, which could then destroy an act. Like, yeah. not even kidding. Um. And also, um. I, I don't know about you or, or other people where you're filming. The only th- the way my thought process works, in. Well, shoot, just from the moment we start shooting is, what did we just shoot? What are we shooting right now? What are we shooting next? And what have I forgotten? Yeah. I, I, actually, I asked that question a lot. Protest. Like, what are we forgetting? <laughs> um, so on that topic, of, though, of, of production, like how long did you spend in production? And, and, you know, like you're kind of in one location seemingly the whole time, for at least the minus the strip club at the so, start or... Yeah, so we had 22 shooting days. Uh, we there was actually a scene we shot in London on the first day, but unfortunately didn't make it into the into the finished film. It was a good scene, it's a deleted scene anyway, which I think will be on the Blu-ray and everything. Um, yeah, the very last day was actually a gentleman's club in Essex called Cats, which I recommend for a gentleman's entertainment. Uh, <laughs> and, and, then, and then the rest of the shoot was actually in a, a place called RAF Bentwater in Suffolk, uh, which is essentially uh, kind of like an Air Force museum. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, and has, has hangers and all sorts of things, and we sort of made it look like these various different places uh, it, on a kind of a road movie, you know, sort of chase movie sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we were pretty. It was pretty amazing. The people there were incredible to work with. It's very easy to get around the site. <clears throat> You're obviously not in the middle of a city with all of those problems in terms of sound and things. So we did have the occasional helicopter going overhead, uh, but sometimes that wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> sort of production value. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kind of. So, so that was brilliant. And but yeah, I, I couldn't recommend it more. It turns out a lot of productions have shot in certain parts of of the, that facility. Did you have that location in mind when you're writing the script, or or was it like kind of undescri- no. undescriptive in the script? No. 
now you're just it no, was it sort was, of uh, it was purely it was purely on, on the recce we 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 reckoned a couple of places in east london uh and then we were recommended it funnily enough from a, a colleague who, who'd worked on the first movie uh who's fantastic and and in fact it turned out our dop had shot there previously as well so that was very helpful and in fact when, when crews work on a lot of productions they all tend to have worked in the same places you know? right uh so and it was ter- terrific like and, and taking the production designer paul burns who was brilliant there was fantastic because he would take all these great photographs and then kind of construct yeah, with like uh, with almost like drawings in in the photos, like how he was going to kind of re- then build it, and then Simon the DOP would also then put like the lighting plan in as well. So so for example, that final hangar, uh, it's called the Hush House at Bentwaters, the thing with the big tunnel that looks like something out of Event Horizon. Um, it's um like that was a completely empty room. There was nothing in it. Uh, and then the production designer and his team just built this incredible set, which was important because we had to have five separate quadrants for these fights. Because right. in the end, there's like four or five fights happening at the same time in the final showdown. And they all had to kind of be separated. And so, of course, for each one, sometimes there was an angle we couldn't shoot at all. Because otherwise you would see there's nobody in the background, you know, having their fight sort right, of thing. But, right. we, but, but we made it work. We, 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 we held for it. And oh yeah, and the other thing I was going to say, um, obviously we had these previous sequences. But we also had to adapt sometimes and say, listen, we've got time for four more setups. We do not have time to do everything. How are we going to adapt what we're shooting? Uh, but that was the same that was the same with drama sometimes that wasn't that wasn't exclusive to action scenes but that's something too like with you being the editor you at least can do some quick math in your head like yeah okay yes. i can make this work with these shots kind oh of yes thing. oh yes absolutely and, and and i will say at the very start of the process and i recommend this to anybody out there who's making a movie if they don't already do it is i would earmark certain scenes um where you just say listen all we're doing for this is whether it's for wide or a mid on two, if it's two or three people talking a wide or a mid close up on each person and we're out like, like you should earmark scenes mm-hmm. to do that because first of all, it's good to get some easy wins. And secondly, and also make sure those scenes aren't too close together in the script. If you see what I mean, yeah, like kind of, you know, because you will, first of all, it's so much more satisfying that you now three or four setups to get the hell out and, and you've delivered your scene. Um, and if you have a bit, and if you have a bit more time, brilliant, go for some, you know, do a two shot or whatever, just, yeah, but just earmark some scenes where you just go very simple coverage. We've nailed it. No one will ever question it. Move on. Yeah. You know, that point to your point, like easy wins, that's something to just cast and crew morale even yeah. to keep that going. Yeah. Cause if you're stuck on a thing for a long time, yeah. you know, that can bog people down and maybe people don't do as good of a job as you'd want them to. But those easy wins, I don't know, at least I find you build a bit of morale with people. Yeah. Or, every day. In fact, if you can on like the first thing you shoot every day and you, you don't always get this choice, you don't always get it, but just, something that you can shoot in one or two and you're done everyone goes tick excellent move on yeah Um, it really makes a difference that's great so how long did you spend in post-production and and you know walk us through a bit about that like are you looking over stuff as you go through all of post like uh, are you editing with sound effects like how important Uh, is that for you or even um like music like are you working with a composer are you working with temp tracks walk us through a bit of that it's funny i've never <laughs> this might just be me i've never understood the need for temp score i've never understood it like like i mean I, I mean i get it like i get why someone would i think i find temp score really distracting i find the concept of finding music that works really distracting 
rather than telling the story. Oh, I'll spend hours finding. Music. Oh, so many people do. And by the way, I have no. It's not. It's not meant as a disrespect on that. I. I it, it can be a really. It, it can really alter the mood of what you're watching, right? So I, I totally get it. But for me, I find it. I, I just as a put on a person in terms of telling the story, I find it very distracting. Um, so I prefer to tell the story first with the cut. Uh, and I will then put it when it's fight sequences, I will just lay in like impacts. I don't tend to put in the whooshes. Sometimes if there's a bit of time, I might do that to give it a little bit more. Oomph. Uh, I like to put the impacts in partly as a guide for whoever does the sound design to understand that there is an impact. Cause sometimes it's not obvious. Right. Cause there are actually usually a lot more impacts in fight scenes than there are punches landed. If that makes sense. Yeah. All the parries just and all that. Parries and, and like little grabs and things like that. And it's amazing what, it's amazing what you, what you suddenly notice isn't there if I don't do it. Yeah. Suddenly there's like it's a, funny it's like, you say oh, that. that I, 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 I've done action in, in the past as well. And I showed somebody a sequence and then showed them later down the line with uh, effects in it. He's like, wow, you really right. changed the editing on that. I was like, no, it's the exact same scene. It's just got sound effects now. Right. Yeah. It changes everything. Yeah. And also that's why, and I can appreciate then obviously lagging temp sound because yeah, it gives it a mood or a pace or something. I just find that as when I'm cutting, I don't like to cut to music if that makes sense, because in the end, the music you're going to end then use like it should, it should complement the cut that you did. I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself. I think I, 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 I can see where you're, where you're rather going than with... be, rather than be like, I was so influenced by Hans Zimmer, uh, from dark Knight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I find it very, yeah, maybe it's, I don't know. It's hard for me. Maybe it's a little, it's a little bit like working with the actors. I'd never, I don't give an actor a line read unless I'm, unless there's something super important to me, like a particular delivery. I trust the actors to bring in what they bring, if that makes sense. And then, so for me, it's almost the same with composer. It's like, I want them to bring something without me going. So I use this temp score and I want it to sound like that. Yeah. Do you make suggestions? You're like, I, I want a little bit of like, yeah. you know, James Newton oh, yeah. Howard here. And then I want oh, a yeah. little bit of whatever. I was more, I was more yes, a, a little bit. I mean, on the first movie, we had the temp score done by Greenhouse. who was amazing. They, they kind of did almost like a goblin type score. Yeah, I actually just, dug the, uh, the first uh, oh, score. A bit of like oh, kind of, I don't know, retro vibe to it. I knew that they were going to do that simply because they did. They, they provided samples of what they'd done, and I was just in love with it. And there was a real, because it's kind of a bit of a mishmash of things. Like it's almost like a contemporary western to some degrees, right. but then it's also kind of retro. There's a, there's a lot of bits and bit. Hopefully, it's not messy, but there's a lot of different influences, if you like, on the first movie. The second movie, in many ways, was much more. Aside from it being a heavy nod to the eighties and nineties, it was much more kind of intended to be more of a, oh, I don't know if it sounds a bit too generic, but kind of just more of a contemporary action movie. Something yeah. that's kind of a bit more in line with the stuff that's going on now, as well as having most nods. Uh, and so the only influences I said to the composer, Thomas Gallagher, who was great, he's based in LA, he's terrific, so, so much fun to work with, um, was I'm, I'm really thinking along the lines of Expendables and John Wick. Right. That's kind of what I said. And I, I didn't sort of say any more than that. I just sort of said, the two most the two most sort of well known action franchises right now are essentially John Wick and then let's say the Expendables for argument's sake. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're aiming at. But I didn't want to go any more specific than that. I wanted to let him bring what he brought. So are you overseeing a lot? Are you going to like uh, you know mix sessions and sound design sessions, or are you more just hands off when it comes time for that? Or 
So that's a good question. So I'm hands on, and, and again, so the producers, uh, John and Diane, uh, on things like the grade. So I went to a hand, you know, a number, a number, actually a handful, a number of the sessions for the grade. Uh, not all of them, but most of them, and of course the final. Uh, but of course they do work in between. You know, did you bring the DP uh, in for that at all, or uh, is this? We we did yes, we did, although not as much of a second one as we'd have liked. There was a, there was a clash of schedules, but he came in at the end and really pushed hard on it because obviously we love his contribution. You know, to be there because he you know he's, he's responsible for the aesthetic in the end. Um, and so yeah, and he he really came in and kind of gave it a bit of a smash at the end in the second one. The first one he was there a bit more, which was great. Um, and oh, in fact, he was there for most of it on the first one. Thinking about it, uh, but on the um, but on the sound design, a lot of the times we would kind of get sent the sessions, right? Uh, and then do it. But on the on the mix, we would we we attended like it was like was it th- I think it was three sessions of the final mix, and that was fantastic. At Pinewood, that was amazing. It was Mike, the Michael Powell uh, stage at Pinewood, which was colossal. So it was, it was almost like a semi IMAX size screen uh, to watch my movie on and hear. Like every time bullets whizzed around, they were kind of going over my head. It was crazy. Uh, That's a lot of fun that, that when you get to done. see it in, in a oh, mixed stage yeah. or something. I've never oh, been yes. to Pinewood, but uh, I've been in a smaller like uh, mixed scenario before, and it is yeah. a lot of fun to hear it just oh, yeah. as good as it'll ever be. I guess. Yeah, no, like particularly considering, it, like I say, it won't have the theatrical. <laughs> so it's a shame. But no, it was that, that was amazing. But obviously, for the vast majority of that work, they do on their time, so to speak, or when you know you can't be there the whole time. And also, I don't want to look over people's shoulders. Like if I'm editing for someone else, I usually tell the client, "I'll send you a version first, and then you come in and we'll do tweaks." Right. I'm not sitting there with someone behind, unless I, without getting into it, unless I paid an exorbitant amount of money. It's not. <laughs> it's not worth the hassle. No, no, definitely not. It's really, it's really not. Like you know, it, you you end up just. Every time you make a change, you just hear someone go, and you kind of go, oh, just go away. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's, not, yeah. it's not actually helping. And also, they're not doing it on purpose. It's an involuntary thing. You know what I mean? It's like, no. you've got you've got better things to be doing. Let me get on with it and let me show you it, and then we'll change it together. Yeah. And that's usually 100 times more efficient. Um, that's great. Um, talk to me a bit about, like, uh, your you know, uh, process and, and uh, the marketing kind of uh, – strategy that you guys had in mind for for the last film and this one and obviously you you talk a lot about uh, you know genre and knowing your audience obviously you know you're going to have a bit of the wwe audience and uh, an audience that watched the first one to begin with so like are you guys building out social media packages is this something the distributors handle a bit of the marketing just walk us through a bit about about that process yeah, I mean, Saban and Lionsgate for North America obviously have their own plans. Uh, I mean, we, Stu did so many podcasts for this one. My goodness. I think he's done 43 podcasts. Wow. Is he yeah, like, like on contract to do that or is that just like for him? Is, honestly, is that... honestly, I think there's, prob- there's probably a contractual element, but he's so helpful and, and passionate about getting things out there. And of course, his, his time with the WWE, obviously he was cutting so many promos like off the cuff and everything. He's brilliant at speaking with people like he's really great at being honest and passionate and straightforward and dare i say a bit marketing but that's the whole point like it's great um that's gonna feel good though to have that in your corner you know oh it's incredible no it's it's uh it it kind of fills your heart up a bit yeah that's great because 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 he's a genuine guy that's the thing there's no it's not coming from a place of ego he wants the film to do well of course because we want to do another one but he's very good at being straight down the line uh with people 
uh, I think you know he's he's so used to dealing with the public. He's got he's got a massive you know like Twitter and Instagram following, of course. So all of that's brilliant. I, I have a, a modest following who <laughs> I do my best with. Uh, I've done about a quarter of the ones that he's done, but that's yeah. It's it's um it's it is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And you're right. There's been a certain amount of word of mouth. We've had a lot more if you like professional publication interest in the sequel, arguably it might, that might be to do with Vinny. It might also be to do with it's a sequel, you know, and, and, and also there might be more interest simply because of the times that we're living in. There's a film yeah. out that we, you know, yeah. uh, whatever it is, I'm grateful. And I think we all are. Um, and yes, certainly as evolutionary films, we, we are responsible for the marketing on the UK side of the movie, as well as promoting the movie to international buyers. Like we've just, uh, I believe we've finally just sold France, which is fantastic. Germany have taken, funnily enough, on the strength of the sequel, this great German distributor, Tiberius, have taken both movies, the first one and the second one. Oh, that's great. So do you do a amazing. German or French dub then? Or oh, I, I don't know, but I hope so. I can't wait to hear Stu in German. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> got to be. The first time I heard, I heard, what was it, a German dub of, of Ten Dead Men blew my mind. Like, it was like, <laughs> this is amazing. This is a better film. <laughs> Oh wow! Like I'll watch this movie. It sounds great. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So there's all of that. Um, do you guys do so, festivals yeah. at all for these? Or well, the first one did. The first one did a bunch. The second one, if I'm honest, because we've been we've had to wait for the release for so long, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like you know, Saban and Lionsgate have their plans. We're not going to do anything to jeopardize that, and we want to obviously release it as strong a way as possible in the UK you know, our home territory. So we haven't really discussed festival strategy for the second movie per se. I feel like once it's been out in a number of territories, we may offer it out simply because it helps with the profile of the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know your right thoughts now, on festivals in general, especially like, cause like an action movie is not like, at least in my experience, like getting an action movie into a festival is, is super hard. Whereas like a horror, like there's yes. so many horror festivals. Like you can just, you can just fill up your poster of, of uh, laurels. I, I mean, I did that on a short and so it's a lot easier for, for that. But like, even like another genre we work in is comedy and mm. like, that's also hard. Like yeah, festivals are like hard. horror or the movies that are like, that make you cry or make you think kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, also it's civil rights movies now. Exactly. Yeah. Just something like that. Non like, there's like non-violence movie festivals. I'm like, okay. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to that festival. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't really know. By the way, I'm sure it's a terrific cause. I, I, I don't mean to sound too trivial because, you know, that's great. Let's be fair. No, but, no. But I don't know who it attracts. And I, and, but then again, maybe I'm not supposed to. So fine. Um, and actually, it's I mean, not we, for we us. Number, <laughs> right, it's fine. That's fair enough. We can turn it off like anything else. Um, I, for the first movie, was it a bunch of festivals? I mean, there are some action festivals. There's the Urban Action Showcase, uh, which we went to in New York, where we actually won for the first movie, we won Best Film, Best Actor, and Best Action. So it was amazing. A sweep. Um, oh, it was amazing. And it was uh, hosted by HBO and Cinemax, and I'm a massive fan of both of those. So that was, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Um, wow. And yeah, we, we did some other ones, like it was the IDTV, the Iron Dragon uh, Festival. And yeah, it was a bunch. It was kind of cool. Uh, yeah so for the second one i'm not sure you're right about horror though like i mean my favorite film festival arguably in the world is fright fest oh cool i think uh right. i think i got my horror short into that one last year it's tremendous yeah you know, i know the organizers quite well they're really passionate really committed to programming an amazing array of films uh funny enough I, I managed to get back in time just in time to watch a movie uh because i, I was actually in new york and I, and I literally managed to get i landed on 
the last day and, and literally got back from Heath. I was at, I'd had no sleep for like nearly two days and I still watched the movie. Just, That's just, good. Just wanted, That's great. I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be there, you know, uh, very passionate about that festival. It'd be interesting um, to see what happens now with like COVID, like, yeah. like everyone's doing online festivals and then it's like, what's the point of even being part of the festival? You know, I kind of, unfortunately I agree with that. Like I've seen, there's a, a movie that some friends of mine have made, which is, done very well uh, you know it's an action genre movie and it's been winning winning a lot of festivals online and i'm like i mean congratulations to them i mean i mean that sincerely and there's a little bit of me going well should i have entered my men in all of those because if they won there's a good chance we would have at least been nominated and maybe won some of that you know maybe had a bit of um, press surrounding it or yeah maybe but then but then also and uh, i hope i'm not out of line for saying it that movie that's one all that's one of all these things which is great I haven't actually seen anything about it except for them saying they've won it. Right. So what's that? Like, that does, yeah. Well, well that, 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 that doesn't mean there isn't anything else. But I'm just like, <sighs> like, like, like. No, hmm, I, I, like, I, like, I, I great, share your but, like uh, yeah. your your thoughts on that to an extent. Like, I, I go back and forth. Like, do I bother submitting stuff to festivals and like, yeah, get seen in a festival, but or do it just releasing it? And just spending all your marketing energy on just getting people to see it out in the wild, you know. But I don't. I know. wonder if there's a. I wonder if there's an appetite for a festival where, in the last, and, and let's just say for argument's sake, at the end of this year, optimistically, where you could say, okay, so all the movies that have won all of these festivals in the last four, five, five, let's say five months, does anyone want to come and see them on a screen? Because we'll put them all on. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Will like, people like, like, show up? Yeah. Well, it's a good question. Yeah. Because you kind of go, if you particularly know these films all won and then, or, or were, you know, very well received or whatever, and then you have the awards at that festival for the winners of, like, winner, winner of winners. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, like and, then, and then what actually wins? I think that would be fascinating. I'm genuinely curious about doing yeah. that now. Look, and also, you know, to, to some earlier points, like about cons, like, you know, that is a go to a festival and meet people to network type of a thing mm-hmm. and a lot of festivals even on a small scale a lot of it is that you're networking with people you're meeting people you're it's for something else for the next thing and if everything is online now you know that mm-hmm. type of person to person meetings you're, you're not going to get that anymore so no not for a while certainly i mean we actually attended the virtual camp as a comp i didn't but john and diane did and you know we had um buyer meetings and they screened our movies which was good you know um it's not the same thing though like no. i, I wasn't I had some friends who attended inverted commas the the seminars that were going on, and I'm like, I don't want to sit and watch a seminar on my computer screen. Yeah, I just I just don't want to. Like, I'm interested, of course, but I've got editing to do and other stuff. I can I can watch, I can watch NCIS or something. <laughs> <laughs> and by the yeah. way, I'm picking that as a mediocre show. That's fine. <laughs> like, but but I could have that on while I'm editing rather than not really pay attention to a seminar yeah. but I'd rather just be very personal right yeah fair so, enough so uh, mm. the world will be unknown for the next little bit for sure but uh, with that said uh, what uh, what do you guys have next uh, are you planning to do uh, a third movie and make it a trilogy or <laughs> so there are currently for real two scripts for Vengeance 3 and they are two totally different scripts so i guess it could be vengeance three and four or it could be vengeance three and movie x like action movie x because you could change the names and all right. of that stuff um and i mean and again they're both written 
in theory that you wouldn't need too much knowledge they are slight they are both slightly more connected to the second movie for various reasons just slightly more there's slightly more dna if you like that crosses over um but still essentially designed script wise that you don't necessarily have to have seen either of the films right uh so so those those exist Uh, as a director myself uh, i have a short film coming out fairly soon uh when festivals are sort of a bit more bit more live and in person i directed a a third part of a franchise called dead end uh which is dead end three dead man walking uh for brian larkin if you're not aware of him he was in uh uh, london has fallen with jerry butler and uh okay yeah uh uh, chasing the dragon with donnie and andy lau and a a bunch of movies and tv shows um uh, and he was a one of the lead villains in the first vengeance movie and he invited me to direct the third part and it's it's great because it's it's not an action movie it's an espionage thriller um there's a few action beats but we shot it in scotland which was incredible uh, and i've been in london opposite the mi5 building that was great too oh, um, jealous. my scotland trip oh, got I mean, cancelled oh, because man. of covid oh, oh no we yeah. shot at a place called blair gallery which was about I think it was about a two-hour drive from glasgow if i remember correctly it was in the wilds of scotland it was it was pretty spectacular actually awesome. um and i'm really excited and i'm really excited as a director because it's got my first uh, dialogue scenes in a foreign language it's in chinese so i'm really excited about that interesting um what was yeah, that like for directing film, in, a, in, a, in another oh, language? Well, there's a degree of trust that's required. I guess so, hey? First of all, I'm assuming, <laughs> I know how it sounds, I'm assuming that they said the dialogue we asked them to say, because <laughs> I right. don't know. Uh, Brian does a bit more himself because he's he's been in China for a lot longer. You know, anyway, I'm assuming that's all fine. I'm being a little bit facetious. But, but there is trust required somewhat because because you are relying on that. Um, and then all you can do is sort of interpret the performance, if you like, the actual yeah. the mannerism and the way that, but that was, that was lovely, lovely to do. Um, and yeah, so that, that was, that was a challenge, but in a, in a good way. Uh, and it was, it's, it's certainly a more, how can I put it? It's a mature thriller. Like it's, um, it's, it's very, I, I think, I think it, I, I probably shouldn't be the person to say this. I think it operates on a high level in terms of what, the story like have a narrative unfolds so cool. I'm, I'm really excited about people seeing that and then the only other thing is currently in post and it's taken longer than i wanted due to quarantine and everything but i directed my first horror short uh, in january uh which is a very it's hard to explain it was originally kind of a survival horror kind okay. of like an action horror and there is an element of that but it's much much more about the setup now in terms of how what occurs on screen occurs it's a bit more um it's kind of about the build now. Okay. I'm being a bit vague because I don't really want to give away the details. No, uh, that's cool. but, but it's uh, it's kind of about obsessions with um, health fads and trends and you know the stuff like like seminars that people sign up to that you know guarantee give take you to the next level of health and right, things like right. that. Right. So it's kind of it's kind of a. Uh, maybe satire is too specific a word, but it is a kind of like a knowing take on that sort of thing. Interesting. Neat stuff, man. Very, yeah. Um, thank you. Well, people can check out I Am Vengeance, Retaliation, and I Am Vengeance, the first one, on iTunes, Amazon, kind of anywhere you can get movies on VOD, right? Yep, absolutely. All major platforms. And they can find uh, you and everyone else on social media, where whereabouts? Yes. So for myself, it's at Ross Boyask on all the social things. Uh, for Evolutionary Films, it's at Evo Films UK. And then for the Vengeance franchise, it's at Vengeance Film UK because we, we named everything that before the I Am Vengeance title took off. Right. Uh, 
but we, we we love hearing from everybody please you know feel free to contact and dare i say if you have films in development or in post or whatever if you're shooting and hope you're shooting somehow safely um because people need product, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, or if you have something in post, we would genuinely be delighted to hear from you, genre-wise for sure. Uh, for anyone who might be interested in, in, a, in a, a very outspoken podcast, <laughs> I, I'm a co-host of something called Ross and the Field Talk Movies, uh, which you can find where you get your podcasts. And it's a fairly strong opinions show, which basically developed from the fact that Phil and I have sort of two-hour ranting conversations on the phone. <laughs> and, and we sort of thought, Maybe Pete, we should inflict this on the rest of everyone. Just this <laughs> That's great. The, they're not normally, yeah, they're not normally that long. They're normally between half an hour and an hour. But if you want to hear two uh, British people being very angry about Spectre, um, <laughs> fuck, fuck me, Spectre, fuck. Didn't like Spectre. it. Didn't like it, eh? Spectre is unbearable. Spectre is like it, it's a okay. So it's a <laughs> for anyone who might be interested, check out the Spectre episode because it's a good entrance point. We think we sort of hit our stride with it, and I, I'm willing to debate Spectre all night long with people. I uh, the anger level hasn't subsided. Really, like it, it should have subsided by now. But Spectre makes me ever more angry. You a Bond fan <laughs> from from the beginning, or sure? No, I love Bond, and, and let's be honest virtually if not all virtually all uh, action movie tropes come from bond virtually yeah, yeah. Nearly, ninjas for god's sake yeah like, like you know you you only live twice as a ninja movie in the end um yeah. you know uh, vic armstrong's first job by the way amazing um and you just sort of go so much comes from it and there's so many bond films that i love and there's so many bond films that i think are nonsense but i still enjoy them like i still enjoy them but Quantum of Solace and Spectre. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I would say Quantum is probably my least favorite. I, I love Bond like a, a mm. lot. I, I've We've gone down Bond rabbit holes on, on oh. this podcast, and <laughs> we did a commentary for um, Spy Who Loved Me, which mm. has one of the, the best like mistake things in a film, but they put it in on purpose where they painted uh, Roger Moore on a rock because they wall. didn't have him for, uh, <laughs> for coverage. Like, I've sh- I've shown people that shot, they lose their minds. I know. <laughs> because it's an incredible painting. Yeah, this is, it's, it's hilarious that that's, that's in a movie. Um, well, if you um, compare, I know this is a slight tangent, but have you ever seen Game of Death, the Bruce Lee? Yeah, oh yeah. Have you seen, there's a shot in that movie where they've put a paper picture, a paper photograph. Yeah, because he was dead, yeah. Yeah. They put a paper photograph of Bruce Lee's face on a mirror yeah. and then had the guy's body under it. But you can just see that it's the photograph. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get creative, I guess. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, well, that's a topic for a whole other podcast. Oh. Uh, Ross, I very much thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, letting us know about your process of filmmaking. I genuinely find it fascinating and I had a very good time having uh, chats with you. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope I haven't been too uh, rambling. <laughs> no, that's great. It's been great talking with you. It's a lot of great information. Oh, thank you. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Lost Commentary, on Instagram at Raiders of the Lost Commentary, and like us on Facebook. I'll be back.